We're, we're, we're wrapping up our series on the afterlife, and uh, if you haven't been here over the last three weeks, we talked about um, what really people believe about the afterlife, what the Bible says. We talked about heaven uh, last week with Pastor Chris. The week before that, I talked about hell, and I told you I've been the lead pastor here for uh, 11 years, and to honestly think about it, um, I had never done a full sermon on hell, and we said, and we came to the conclusion, obviously, that hell was not created for us. It was created for devil and, and for his angels, for his, his uh, cronies, as I like to call them. Um, and it wasn't created for us, but the reality also is that, that God set it up for those who want to reject him, who walk through life through that. If you've ever seen the movie The Chronicles of Narnia, anybody ever seen it or read the books? Really? Okay, some, yes. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you. As a matter of fact, as I've thought about this over the last couple of weeks, uh, C.S. Lewis was a brilliant man. I'll be honest with you. That guy was the most creative. He used the gifts that God had given him to communicate the story of the gospel in ways. And I don't know if you realize that the Chronicles of Narnia is really kind of a picture of what goes on in the Christian life, what goes on within the church and the battle against good and evil, Jesus and, and Satan and things like that. But in the movie uh, or in the Chronicles of Narnia series, um, one of my favorite songs was written by a group named Switchfoot. And if you guys know what I'm talking about, they, they sing a song called This Is Home. Um, and in it, it says, I'm, I'm created for a place I've never known. And then they go on and say, this is home. I finally found a place I belong. And I believe that that's the reality of what we look at as scripture. See, Narnia, I don't know if you realize this, that Narnia actually has seven books in the series. And the last is called The Last Battle. In fact, there's not a movie written about it, all right? There's not a movie uh, for you to watch. But in there, there's a great showdown. And this showdown leads to the end of Narnia as it's known. But it allows Aslan to lead the characters to the true Narnia. And I want you to know that what we see in Scripture teaches us about the reality of heaven. Last week, Chris talked a little bit about it. Um, matter of fact, there's a, a great book. If you want to read more on it, there's a great book written by a guy named Randy Alcorn that I believe is probably one of the, the, the best books I've ever read on heaven. He's a, he's a pastor who had lost some loved ones and was dealing with this loss and decided he needed to get in uh, to, to the Scripture and study more on on what it was saying and, and uh, look into it. So he wrote this book on heaven um, by a guy named Randy Alcorn. And, and the reality is this, and I'm not going to call it anything else. This world is not our home. We just sang that. And the whole idea of these songs is to kind of drive a point home, right? Oftentimes we think that this world is our home when the reality is this world is not our home as, as believers, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip to Revelation chapter 21, put your finger there, hold it there, and then flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we go into this. You know, I was tempted to bring this up. This is the time of year where you've had vaporizers in the home. Maybe I got a vaporizer out, maybe you've been sick and things like that. And it reminded me of this. According to scripture, our life is but a vapor, a mist. And Chris last week had that rope, and he talked about, you know, the length of time and things like that. But I want you to think about this. Maybe next time you even put out a vaporizer, you turn it on, you think about it, that your life and my life is but a vapor, a mist, that just for a moment, that mist shows up, 
It lives its course, and then it's gone. I was sharing with our Believe class this morning that I ran into uh, uh, one of the, well, I say ran into, they came down to visit. One of the girls who was going into seventh grade when my wife and I uh, went to be youth pastor at Southwest Baptist Church in DeSoto, Texas. And she was going into seventh grade, which means she was Peyton's age. And she showed up with her, I think, six-week or nine-week-old son and her dad. And we were having a conversation. And I said, JD, how old are you? And he said, I'm 71. And I was like, oh, wait. That means you were my age when I was the youth pastor there. And he went, yeah, you don't need to remind me of that. <laughs> and, and yet at the same time, I went, oh, my gosh, that's how quick 22 years goes. It's just like that. It's, it's here, it's gone, it's a mist, it's a vapor, and we move on. See, our lives are but a vapor and a mist. And so today what I wanted to do is what happens to ask this question. We answered these questions, what happens after I die? What is heaven like? Who goes there? How do we get there? All of these questions have been presented, but today I want to talk about heaven and the hope for heaven and living in light of eternity, right? In light of the promised hope. And we said this, and as a matter of fact, I started off the sermon series with this idea, you've heard the quote, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. And I think that there's a balance there, that I think oftentimes we live our lives not remembering the heavenly purpose with which God has called us to, not remembering that, to focus on those things. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says it this way, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I think that sometimes we're so earthly-minded that we're of no earthly good because we don't live out the gospel that God has called us to day in and day out. Does that make sense? I think sometimes our minds are so set on what's going on on earth that we don't keep in mind eternity. We don't keep in mind Jesus. We don't keep in mind the very reason Jesus died on the cross, the good news of the gospel. And so as a result, we're so earthly minded that really we're no earthly good because we're not giving the people or, or not living out the gospel in front of the people who are around us day in and day out. And so I, I come to this sermon today with just some very simple things to focus on. I believe that we should live our lives in light of that truth, that we set our hearts on things above. See, the problem isn't that the Bible doesn't tell us much about heaven. The problem is we just don't pay attention enough to what it tells us about it. And so I want to encourage us today with just some very simple things. I'm going to be all over the Bible today, honestly. I'm going to reference some verses. You can write them down. You can look them up. But I'm going to focus on a couple here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and then Revelation chapter 21. But I want to remind you of the main point today. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God has created an amazing home for his people, and we will dwell there with him forever. And I don't think we can understand the amazement of what all he has created for his people. It's important to keep this in mind. Listen, God created heaven for his people. That's for all people. But there are those who choose to not return or not respond to the truth of the gospel. And as a result, what we were reminded of is this, right? That people will suppress the truth because of the wickedness in their heart. And as a result, they're going to deny Jesus. And so if you're going to deny Jesus in your life, why would you want Jesus for eternity? 
And that's the question. That's the reality of what we have to deal with. So here's a couple things I want to look at today from Scripture that we're going to look at. And I want you to know this, that point number one, I think, is of valuable importance, that there is no need to fear death. And yet at the same time, do you know how many people, if we were to bring up the subject of death, would say, I don't want to talk about it? No, no, don't want to talk about it. Even believers don't want to talk about it. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of when it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know any of this. And I want us to say, I want us to to rest assured in this, that there is no need to fear death. See, fear is a result of a lack of control or uncertainty, right? Most of us would say we fear death because there's an uncertainty to it. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't, I don't have any of those answers. And the reality is that when we build our lives upon the truth of God's word, then there's no reason to fear death. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 2 says it this way in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, this is Jesus too, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. You get what's going on here, right? Like there's a, a, a dynamic action here that's taking place that, that Jesus in his humanity pays the price that we can pay so that he can defeat the power of him who holds the power of death, that is Satan, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you think that there's not something to be said that Scripture knew that we would fear death? Like he says it right there. But Christ came so that we can overcome the the fear of death, that we don't have to worry about what's going on. Keep in mind, John chapter 14 says it this way, right? John chapter 14, verse 1, and I'm going to flip over there and read it just real quick so you can understand the reality, but I want to lay out some truths that we understand. Jesus said it this way. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Keep this in mind. Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas obviously asked the question, how can we know? And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, here's the reality of what we understand, that Jesus promised, Jesus told us, Jesus knew that we would fear death. He overcame death with his death on the cross. He overcame sin. He overcomes death and all of those. But the reality is this, that he prepares a place for us. So I don't need to fear death. He was going to prepare a place for us where we can dwell with him. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But then we oftentimes focus on that verse. We kind of leave off the the, the rest of it. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, I work for the kingdom. Yet what shall I say or what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. You hear what he's saying? If I go on living, it's for the beauty of the gospel. It's for fruitful labor in my life. It's so the kingdom will grow. But yet I so badly long and desire to depart and be with the Lord. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you can, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to pick up. He says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, what is the earthly tent? That's your body, right? It's my life. If it's destroyed, we have a building from God, eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Anybody groaning? You wake up every morning, get out of bed, you're like, all the old people are like, yeah, and the kids are like, what are you talking about? Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And then I want to focus on verses 6 through 8. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight, and we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's why we don't fear death. And I believe the Bible is very clear that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what we can know and understand based upon the truth of Scripture is that we can sit back and say that when I die, I have no fear. Why? Because I am going to be absent from my body and I'm going to be present with the Lord. And it's important to understand this because I do believe that there are some things that we need to see in Scripture. Oftentimes we look at heaven and we say, heaven is eternal. It is. Just not the one you're going to go to right after you die here. And you're like, what? There is what we'll call, if we want to call it that, an intermediate heaven. I hate to call it that. I don't like that term. I don't like it, but we're going to heaven. You're going to go to heaven. But there's also a reality that comes down that we're going to look at here in just a moment in Revelation chapter 21, where it says that the heaven and earth are destroyed and God brings down a new heaven and a new earth. So it's important to understand how scripture lays that out. So those who don't have to fear death are those who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 1 is a very simple way for us to understand, because he says in verse 3, sorry, let me clarify. Uh, Starting in verse 3, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Please make no doubt about it, make no mistake about it, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the very thing that was just presented right there. That Jesus died for your sins, for my sins. That he went to the grave to bear the burdens of those according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. That is the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is going to be in heaven along with those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? That's the question. Have you put your faith in Christ? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? That's the reality of those who are going to be in heaven. So that's why we don't have to fear death, number one. Number two, we can understand this, that there is a resurrection of our bodies and the judgment of Jesus. This is at the second coming. So when you and I die, I'm going to try and do this in a very simple way. You and I die, where do our bodies go? In the grave, right? Cremated, ashes in a in a in a, a a box, you know, or you're in a coffin and buried in the ground. 
Now, I've had people say, well, are you okay with cremation? Yeah, I'm fine with cremation. Why? I've heard people say, well, I heard cremated people don't go to heaven. Well, if that's the case, then if you die in a fire, you're in trouble. Or, let me just throw it one step farther. If you died back around 400 BC, I'm pretty sure you're dust, right? The Bible says ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So, here's the reality. The Bible says that our bodies die. And when our bodies die, they're going to go in the grave. But our spirit, our soul lives on. And our soul is going to end up in one of two places, right? In one of two places, based upon the decision we made, flesh and blood, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So in other words, our body doesn't. Verse 51 in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen, I tell you a mystery, or sorry, verse 50, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, our dead bodies or our bodies that can die, inherit the imperishable, which is eternal. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Now, you're going to sit here and go, what are you talking about? Here's the reality. Our bodies are buried. Our souls go to heaven. Or hell based upon the decision that's made. It's called the judgment seat that God is going to sit on. We're going to be judged. There are really two judgments that goes on, all right? The initial judgment uh, depends on our faith, not on works. It's on our faith. So when you and I die, the minute we die, you're going to be judged. And that judgment is, do you know Jesus? Do you not know Jesus? Have you acknowledged Jesus as Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Have you confessed Him before others? Or have you not? That's the initial judgment. At that point, you will either go, according to Scripture, to heaven or to hell. Keep this in mind. This is a judgment based upon faith, not works. Ephesians chapter 2 says it, right? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Not by works so that no one can boast. So there's the judgment of faith that takes place. So when you and I die, that's what's going to happen. But then there is a second judgment, which is what 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about, which means that at some point, our bodies are going to rise up out of the grave. I know it's going to sound crazy, but this is exactly what Scripture is saying. That your body and my body at the second coming of Jesus will come up out of the grave. Why? Because he's restoring all things the way he wanted it originally. If you'll keep in mind in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when Adam and Eve sinned, before Adam and Eve sinned, God was walking with man and he was in fellowship with them day in and day out, right? Correct? It was this ongoing relationship is going on, no work, woohoo! No pain, no misery, no tears, no sorrow, just joy, peace. That's what God is going to reestablish, it says, when he comes again. So the initial judgment depends not on works but on faith, but the second judgment is going to be based upon 
works. Now you're going to say, what do you mean by that? The second judgment, when Jesus comes back, which is what he's talking about here, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he goes on and he says, for the uh, perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where or is your victory and where, O oh, death, is your sting? Now, it's important for us to play this out and to know what Scripture is trying to teach here. This is the judgment of our works. Now, what I mean by that is this. It doesn't mean you're kicked out of heaven, all right? Some people are like, oh, that means my works. I'm going to be kicked out. Nope. This is the judgment of your works. In other words, God's going to say, what did you do? How did you build the kingdom? And according to scripture, what we see is that the second judgment is a rewards-based judgment. That there are going to be some who have more. I don't know how that plays out. I don't know if your house is bigger. (laughs) You know, money's not going to matter, right? None of that's going to play out. But it does say that there is a a second judgment that takes place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So that's the understanding of what's going on, the resurrection of our bodies and the second judgment, the judgment of our, of our works, all right, for that, that's going to come about. But Here's the promise, here's the, ju- the, the, the joy, here is the beauty of everything that comes about. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21, and I'm going to focus there for the rest of our time. Revelation 21, very end of the book, or very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, because I want us to see this, that we have a promised future home, and this home will be unlike anything else we have ever experience. So when we talked about, Chris talked a little bit about heaven last week, there's obviously this intermediate heaven, right? But then there's going to be this time. Look at 21, Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. It says, matter of fact, I want to jump back to verse 14 just to give you a context. Sorry, 20 verse 14. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a what? New heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. So here's why I said this intermediate heaven, okay? I hate to call it that. I don't know what else to call it, all right? The old heaven is gone and there is a new heaven, all right? And there was no longer any sea. Now, I don't know about you, but my time on the ocean in the Navy was amazing. You see some of God's creation, his uniqueness, the the beauty that God created, and you're like, and this says, nope, it's gone. It's like, really? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, sorry, Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Here's what I want us to see as we kind of run through this picture. And I want us to play this out as we dig into this, right? 
is that God gives us a beautiful picture of what heaven, our eternal home, once that new heaven and new earth is established, is going to be like. It says it's a holy city. It says that there's no ocean, there is no sea, there's nothing around. Matter of fact, if you were to look at Hebrews chapter 11, it says that heaven is a city. It's also described as a country in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. So if you could take the best of both worlds and say there's a city and a country, we're going to be golden, right? So every redneck's like, woohoo, and every city dweller's like, yes. And I'm just kind of making a little bit of fun of like that, but it's usually people are like, I don't want either. Like, I want one or the other. And the reality is that heaven is going to be drastically different than anything we can even imagine. And I think oftentimes we put this stress of like, this isn't going to be fun. I think Chris said it last week. What am I going to do? Like, I don't think you're going to have to worry about any of that. Like for some reason, there's a mindset in our, in, in, or there's a, there's, a, there's a belief in our mind that for some reason it's going to be boring. Like there's not going to be any fun. Tell me the last time you went on to vacation, the most beautiful place on earth, and you came back and went, well, that sucked. <laughs> like, think about it. Like, why do we have this in our, in our mind that it's going to be this terrible, boring, monotonous, ho-hum life when the reality is it's going to be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Like, I try and put myself into that picture, and I think of, like, Glacier National Park. When I used to go there with my grandparents, by the way, if you've never been, you need to take a trip. You need to swing by Lake McDonald, a glacier-fed lake, and you need to grab the rocks there and start to skip them. It just reminded me of being a kid. You could skip rocks for hours. Perfectly circular, smooth rocks, crystal clear water, and you just skip them. Most beautiful place in the mountains I've ever been to. And then I go back to like the time we were in Jamaica for our 10th anniversary, and I think, man, this is the life, sitting on a beach. Why do we think heaven's going to be so boring? And I believe it's because we don't listen to what the Bible tells us about the truth of what heaven is going to be like. Look at verse 4. He said that he's dwelling with man, right? We're going to walk side by side. We're going to live with God. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. But look at verse four. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And here's why. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Think about that. Depression, gone. Suffering, no. Pain, don't have to deal with it. Mourning, nope. Worry, gone. Not going to think a thing about all of those negative things that we oftentimes have in our lives. It's not going to be a thought. And can I tell you something? Like I've had people say, well, what about the people I know that are probably most likely in hell because they've denied Jesus? Will I think about them? No. And you may say, that's cold and callous. No. It's the reality of what Scripture teaches us. Why? Because if you were up there and you started thinking of them, what would happen? probably going to be some sadness. There's going to be a lack of joy. There's going to be mourning, right? Nope. Bible says it's not going to happen. It's not going to be there. Why? Because all the old things are gone and the new things 
are here. Look at verse 5. He was seated on the throne. This is talking about Jesus. And he said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. Keep in mind, it's an inheritance. An inheritance is a what? A gift. It's free. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's all by faith. And he says, listen, you earn this all by faith, not by works. And so you come and you inherit all of these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, their place will be the fiery lake of sulfur. This is the second death. Now, before you go, man, that's pretty harsh. Keep in mind, these are the very people who have said, I don't want anything to do with God. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I don't need him. I'm going to do it on my own. And Jesus is just going to be a respecter, what we call a respecter of persons. And if that's what you long for, he's going to freely give it to you. In other words, when you say, I don't want God in my life on earth, God is going to assume, based upon respecting you as a person, God is making the assumption, the belief, he knows, if you want nothing to do with him in life, you're going to want nothing to do with him in death. And as a result, you reap what you sow. But I want to focus on this, because here's the beauty. Here's the reality. Verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to the bride, the wife of the lamb, that's the church. Headgummit. This fan's blowing right on me. (laughs) It says this, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain, great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Is shown with the glory of God. Its brilliance was that of a precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you keep in mind what's going on. It's a square city, right? It's got 12 gates. It's made out of jasper. The walls are made out of jasper. It looks clear. It looks immaculate. It looks, I guess, I mean, if I could think of something, maybe almost like a a mirror or a diamond to a certain extent. If you would look at it, it's clear. It's very simple. It's elegant. It's got 12 tribes written on the gates because there are three gates on each one of the sides. And then it says in verse 15, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And he measured it wide and high as it is long. And he measured its walls and its walls were 144 cubits thick by man's measurements, which the angel was using. So to give you an idea, just real quick, The city is about 1,400 miles square, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, and 1,400 miles high. Matter of fact, if we were to put this picture up, you kind of see it right here. There's a, a beautiful picture of what takes place. This is what would happen if it was in the United States. Nope, not, well, that, yeah, that one, sorry. Do you get that picture? That's 1,400 miles. 
Now, if we were to take that 1,400-mile square, and keep in mind it's 1,400 miles high. Anybody know how 30,000 feet is? Yeah, somebody said it. How many? It's like six miles. So Mount Everest is six miles. This is going to be 100 and, or sorry, 1,400 miles tall. 100, one hundred, I should just avoid math. <laughs> right? Every time. All right? Keep this in mind. Look at this. You can run from Shreveport, Louisiana to off the coast of, of Mexico, all the way up into Canada, and all the way across into Canada, and then straight back down. Anybody want to drive that? Now, do you think your life's going to be boring? That, that contains right there the Rockies. Some of the most beautiful land on earth. And you think God's going to create something new that's going to be uglier? Nope. And then on top of that, to see about the size and what it looks like. He's laying this out. He says the walls measured 144 cubit meters, or sorry, cubits thick. Now, I want to give you that. That's about 200 feet thick. Like, I want to challenge you. Go downstairs and look at some of our 18-inch walls. These things are beasts. Modern-day construction doesn't necessarily build 18-inch walls, and we have them here on this church. You can go right downstairs and look at it. And the walls of the city are going to be 200 feet thick, 1,400 miles tall, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long. And it says, the wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. I tried to find a picture, and honestly, that best one was that square. There were some really elaborate things that popped up, but imagine the city. It says the city is going to be made of pure gold. It reminded me of a joke I heard a long time ago. This guy died, thought he could take all these things to heaven, and he shows up with a suitcase full of gold, and he shows up, and Peter's like, What's that? He's like, it's gold. He's like, well, you can't bring it in. He's like, no, I want to bring it in. I kind of made this deal. I'm going to bring it in. Peter's like, well, you can't bring it in. He's like, well, why not? He's like, there's no reason. You don't need to bring it in. Now, keep in mind, let me clarify. Peter didn't know what it was. He just knew it was a suitcase. So Peter's arguing back and forth with the guy, and finally Peter's like, dude, I don't get what the heck is so it's such a big deal. What do you got in there? And the guy opens up, it's gold. Peter's like, why'd you bring asphalt? I don't get it. I don't understand the thought process. And that's the reality of what he's laying out. He says the city was made of jasper. And the city of pure gold is pure as glass. And the foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedon. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, uh, chrysophase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth was amethyst. And the twelve gates, listen to this, were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was a pure gold like transparent glass. <clears throat> See, here's the reality. And here's what I want you to understand that this new heaven and new earth, this holy city, this new country that God made is made so that we would dwell with God and God would dwell with us. 
There's no death, there's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no pain. All things are new. There's a lack of repentance. There's no need for confession. Why? Because the repentance of sins and the confession of Jesus as Lord is what led us to Christ. But then listen to what he says. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And then I love this. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. Keep this in mind. All of creation as we know it will cease to exist. No sun, no moon, no stars, won't need any light. And I'm reminded of where it says in both the Gospel of John and in 1 John where it says, God is light and in him there is no darkness. That when Jesus comes, darkness flees. And that's the promised hope. That is the future that Jesus promises. And he says that the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night. There will be, or the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it and nothing impure will ever enter, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, the promise that God made is this, that we live in light of an eternal home where we will never die, that where there will be no more mourning, no suffering, no fear, no tears, no crying, no pain. And what I can tell you is this, that if you're afraid of death, Could it be that you're afraid of death because right now you're rejecting God? You've rejected God's attempt to make everything right through Jesus. Because for some reason, in some way, shape, or form, we've got it in our mind that we've got to work it out. When the reality is it's simply a gift, an inheritance. God is offering Let me remind you one more time that the Bible says that the Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish, and that every day that the Lord waits for his second coming, every moment that he waits, he's waiting because he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Why? Because Jesus' desire from the get-go in Genesis 1 was for him to dwell with man, to have an eternal kingdom, a holy city, a country that would be his own. And he will establish that. And the question becomes this, are you a part of it? Is your faith and trust in Jesus? And if it is, great. Man, here's here's the promise that I can say. If your faith and trust is in Jesus, when you stand before, as soon as you die... God's going to say, why should I let you in? It's not going to be because I went to church, I tithed, I served in Sunday school, I did all this. You're going to stand before him and say, your son. Because I believe that your son died on the cross for my sins and rose again. That's the only, the only thing that gets you into heaven. The only thing. Nothing else. And honestly, we should be so thankful for that. So appreciative of that. 
and so prepared, listen, so prepared to say, man, I don't want anybody else to face hell, to think about hell, to worry about what would happen if they die. I want everybody to know. You don't have to face death with fear, that you can face it with hope. And so when I think about like even that last song we sang, and I think we're going to close with it here in just a moment, I want you to think about that. That when I stand before a family and I'm getting ready to do a funeral, the only hope I can ever offer is the gift of Jesus. Because that's the only thing that matters. That one day you and I will celebrate eternally together with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven. A place that he has gone to prepare for us, according to John chapter 14. A place that he wants you in. A place that we can long for and a place that we set our hearts and minds on. And when we set our hearts on minds on that, then everything else becomes secondary. Because I can look at those around me and I can say, man, I don't want you to walk in pain and agony and destruction. I want you to walk in life. Father, we pray today thanking you for the hope that we have in Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross, as as scripture says. That he went to the grave and three days later he rose again. Defeating sin and Lord, what we celebrate today, defeating death and offering us a life more abundant, a life full. And so Lord, we celebrate that and we walk with great hope and expectation asking you to do great things, things that we can never ask or even imagine because of your work in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.